Hey everybody, this is Rob Liefeld. You're listening to Rob's Observations. We have a uh, packed, jam-packed show. Hope I can get all the uh, droplets of information that are that are pressing against my my uh, my brain and, and and get them out to you today because I've got so much on my mind. So much is going on. The comic book and the pop culture scene—they're they're the same thing, right? It, it is. How is pop culture not comic book culture now? It's everywhere. It's it's like I said, it's in the drugstore. It's in the CVS, it's in the 7-Eleven, it's in the department store. Uh, you know, everything seem, seemingly is comic books. Funko Pops um, are everywhere. Licensed comic book stuff is everywhere. Walking Dead is a comic book. It counts. Um, you know, you can even go to the manga anime section where my, my, my kids will, you know, tell you how much better... Attack on Titan and My Hero Academia are than all of the American stuff, which is funny because my obsession with manga and anime are about 34 years old at this point. And and, and sometimes my kids act like I don't, uh, like I haven't visited anime and manga prior to them watching Attack on Titan on Hulu. But it's everywhere, right? Um, You know, every every day there's a headline. Today I read that Tom Holland is telling us that Spider-Man 3 will be his Spider-Man 3. Um, which is what is, is, is that Spider-Man 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, Spider-Man 8, his, his, his Spider-Man 3, which will kind of be Spider-Man 8, uh, or Spider-Man 8 and a half. I don't know how we count the Civil War and the Infinity War and the Endgame, but his Spider-Man will be the most ambitious comic film ever made. And of course, there's all these rumblings about the multiverse and the public understands the multiverse now, thanks to Sony and their fantastic into the multiverse. Okay. So, so we are we're just wired in now, but, but there's, there's every single day there is a tweet. I mean, almost, almost on the hour, uh, yesterday it was, you know, Zack Snyder's justice league cut. It's going to be R rated. Well, cool. And then there was a whole discussion of why is this being R rated to which I'm like, are why? Well, who cares? Who cares if it's R rated? We aren't even, uh, in the domain of going to theaters right now. Like my, 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 my son, when he, he and his friends bought, tickets to Zoolander 2 and helped line Ben Stiller's pockets instead of uh, 20th Century 20th Century Fox when they went to see Deadpool on opening weekend. That's that's not a concern right now. Justice League, Snyder's Justice League is going to be shown on streaming. And, you know, uh, if you're like me, you've, you've, you've become weak in the knees and you don't mind when your kid plops down and watch your R-rated, you know, indulgence, whatever that might be. And and you're in, look, our, our family, come on, families are, are watching R-rated material, you know, Fight me. That's what I think. That is what I'm bringing to you today. Uh, just, just the fact that we are all over the place as a as a society, as a culture, in our love and worship, and and I'm I'm here to help break it down for you guys. This is my obsession, as you have now picked up on comic books 24 seven. Last night I finished a deadline. I rewarded myself by going to the comic store, and man, did I buy some comics. I bought Marvel comics. I bought a DC comic. I bought uh, some image comics and I bought back issues and I bought lots of back issues because I bought I bought comics that I already have like maybe one or two copies of, but I just needed it again because I need that stuff in my life. I want to just keep reading these books and sometimes it's just easier to buy it. Uh, if, if, if I put into the equation uh, me on my hands and knees uh, crawling around my either uh, storage unit or my, my garage and going through, uh, you know, anywhere from if it's at, if it's at home at 60 60 long boxes if it's the, the the storage unit we're talking about hundreds and hundreds 
of comic book boxes searching for maybe that particular issue of Avengers 136. But so today, mutants. Mutants is on my brain because uh, I, I love the X-Men. I love mutants. I was, I, I was like, do I love X-Men or do I love mutants? And so I've decided, no, I love mutants. I, I always had a, a, a thing for, for Quicksilver and for Scarlet Witch and you know, uh, the, the, the fact that they are in fact mutants and were, you know, huge components of the Avengers as we covered in our WandaVision episode. And we're going to do a follow-up on that in that there's so much of Scarlet Witch and Vision and Quicksilver that we didn't get to. And I do want to kind of sew up some of those loose ends because that was a jam-packed issue. And I cannot uh, tell you how much I appreciate all you guys reaching out to me telling me that you did not know that Vision in the comic books was in the android form of the World War II Human Torch and that he had the memories and the brain waves of Simon Williams, a.k.a. Wonder Man. Wow, is that a mouthful? You didn't know that, okay? If you watched Avengers Endgame or you de- decided to get acquainted with Avengers with the Age of Ultron sequel, if all you're doing is um, is 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 learning from these movies, you're definitely missing out. Uh, I'm here to tell you the comic books are always going to be your better, best resource. Your better, best resource. I love The Walking Dead. I watched, I don't know, eight seasons of it before I I, I got distracted. But man, I was there. I was down. Um, I, I love the show. I, I would call up Robert Kirkman routinely and tell him how much I love the show. My son got into Walking Dead and binged it like a madman like probably four summers ago. And uh, look, the comic books, as good, you take the best Walking Dead episode, and there are some fantastic, absolutely outstanding Walking Dead episodes. So many of them are just so well-crafted, directed, acted, performed, um, written. But I'm telling you right now, Walking Dead comics, they're better, okay? They are the better version of the show. The show is aspiring to be as good as what is on the paper that Robert Kirkman writes on and uh, and, and Mr. Adlard would, would draw and early on Mr. Moore. But 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 Kirkman's vision for that book to me in its um most basic form, the, the, the form that it was intended to live and breathe in, The Walking Dead, uh it, it the the material that we see filmed is as good as it is, it's not as good as the comic. And unfortunately that's where I'm always going to fall down on because the the comic books it's like when somebody says, Oh, but did you read the novel? Did, did, you, did you read the novel? You know, you get that right now with The Stand or whatever else is being adapted. Did I say adapted? Adapted? <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Adding extra syllables to adapted. Uh, the, 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 the great thing about, you know, growing up, you know, you go see a movie, Amityville Horror. Amityville Horror was, has been remade. Uh, the, the original one starred, starred Mr. Thanos and, and Cable, Josh Brolin's father, James Brolin and Margot Kidder, and it was a big Hollywood release, and it was based on a uh, novel that chronicled this family's, um, this, this East Coast family's uh, uh, experience and horrifying experience with this haunted house. And it was all over the news and the papers, and when it came out and the, the, the ripped from the, you know, ripped from the headlines, you know, kind of story, got a ton of press when I was a kid. Uh, probably, I was, I was probably, you know, 10 when, when Amityville Horror comes out, but the the the, uh, the big thing that I remember after seeing it was well the 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 book the novel is so much better the novel um, it, it's always the novel is better right well comic books the novel is generally always better it is generally always better um, and 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 I I really believe that the source material especially the really great source material um, 
is 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 this stuff is really wonderfully crafted by uh, fantastic, passionate comic book writers and comic book artists. Often now we see the talent running to catch up with the material that was produced um, with so much love and so much passion. And the best comic book adaptations are the ones that do adhere um, closely to the vision established in the comics and then maybe put their own twist on it. I'm thinking Christopher Nolan. I do actually really love his Batman films. I actually, um, Batman Begins is my favorite of the bunch. Uh, as much as I, I know Dark Knight was beloved by the crowd, Batman Begins is my personal favorite. But as we uh, are, are just completely inundated with all of this pop culture uh, uh, film and television and, and animation, it's it's always much more interesting to go and examine the source. And and I guess I'm I'm you know the source is with you. And and for for this podcast, I'm going to um, act as the source as best I can within the boundaries of my um, experiences and knowledge that I've gleaned over all these years. And again, hearing you guys go. I I I have loved the reactions to Scarlet Witch too. I didn't know she was raised by a cow and the high evolutionary and all of this great material. I mean, material that this is not obscure in comics. Nothing I've told you is obscure. These are in best-selling comic books. Avengers was a top-selling Marvel book when the Knights of Wondegore Mountain uh, storyline came down. And it was a big deal. And, and I mentioned earlier, it was a year before that... Uh, that it was a year before Dark Phoenix and Jean Grey went completely bonkers that they had Dark Scarlet Witch. And that is in this Knights of Wondergore Mountain. And what's important to know, um, because I, I as a long, time, a long time comic book fan, have always recognized how powerful Scarlet Witch is. And in the uh, episode that we really did the deep dive with Scarlet Witch, Wanda, Pietro, um, and, and Vision, you know, I told you how... The, ex the the way she has exhibited her power in the Marvel Universe has put her on like the umpteenth power level. I got a bunch of the MCU people saying, no, she's not. She's not that powerful. What are you talking about, Liefeld? She's not as powerful as Thanos. And, um, you know, I hear the voices of these tweets. That, that's how they sound to me. Liefeld, that's not, that's not right. And, uh, and I'm like, man, I don't, the films aren't my canon. They're not my canon. They're never going to be my canon. The comic books are going to be my canon. When, when, when uh, three times... In Scarlet Witch's history, she has she has gone dark. The first overtly uh, storyline where she trashed the Avengers is Knights of Wondegore Mountain, and uh, that is where her darkness is tapped into, and she trashes her husband, the Vision, Wonder Man, uh, Captain America, Iron Man. You know, I went went through went, went uh, over it with you guys on the cover. Uh, Captain Marvel, sorry, not Iron Man, Wasp, Falcon, her brother. Um, and then she took out the guy that kind of tempted her and, and, and tapped into her dark self, Modred the Mystic, who is a uh, big time uh, level sorcerer bad guy. And uh, she she is is it's a great story. You know, you get the dark temptation. She gets twisted, and you know, in the end, she has to purge herself. Uh, you know, of of this of this this dark demon through this puppeteer guy who has this. Uh, what you what you would call a talisman, and, and maybe they do it through love and sheer willpower, like 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 Green Lantern's ring is is powered through willpower. Because isn't that the best power ever? This ring will do whatever you want to. It's as strong as you want it to be. That's like the ultimate, isn't that the best? But um, you know they use their their in, in the in the in the Knights of Wondegore, 
Captain America, Ms. Marvel, Quicksilver, Wasp, Falcon, Wonder Man all join uh, uh, Quicksilver as, as, as he as he holds the talisman. And I mean, Wanda is going super duper dark here. And like I said, she has trashed and dominated the Avengers. And uh, she uh, they, they 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 put this uh, this this talisman up, and they 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 will the power of the talisman into Wanda to help her overcome the darkness within. And it says, you know, the emotional, uh, barrage that Sithon, because that's who, when she becomes dark, Scarlet, which her name is Sithon. And, uh, she's overwhelmed and eventually it's like purging a demon and, and she is released. But, uh, you know, of course she, she, and, 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 and they, they, they purge Sithon into the talisman doll and crush the doll under an avalanche and uh, and Modred is mindless at the end. He's like a child. And Bova is like, I will take care of him. Our our cow woman. Remember our cow woman. Which come on, if you can have a stork, if you can have a stork walking around the Brady Bunch episode of Wandavision, you can most certainly have a cow. Come on, Bova. We're we're rooting for her, for you. But uh, the thing with 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 um, Scarlet Witch, she she had this you know mutant power to change probabilities. They've eventually termed it chaos magic and uh then they got into like her application as an actual witch because again in the 70s witches salem witch trials salem's um you know uh, salem's lot witches vampires were all the rage and steve englehart and and all of the uh the the writers at marvel at the time were all really dabbling in this marv wolfman with dracula len ween jerry conway roy thomas were all kind of dabbling in this and so they introduced her to Agatha Harkness, who you're hearing a lot of. And Agatha Harkness was introduced in the Fantastic Four as the kind of caretaker, babysitter, the nanny, the nanny of Franklin Richards, who had some very disturbing cosmic powers as well. And there have also been people who are like, hey, Franklin Richards is way more powerful than Scarlet Witch. And I'm like, well, I was a part of Heroes Reborn, which was created by Franklin Richards. I also did Onslaught Reborn, which revisited how powerful Franklin Richards was. He did create a pocket universe with a handful of Marvel characters. Wanda in House of M changed the entire reality, the entire reality. It touched everyone in that universe. I would mark that down as the more powerful of the two. Um, but 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 Wanda was, at for a for a brief period... She was, uh, she, she was trained, and, and and Agatha Harkness, who was a witch, gave tutelage to her to kind of help hone her powers. It's the same way that later in the '70s they really dabbled that Doctor Doom was more than just the mechanical aspects of his scientific armor suit. He had um, mystic powers as well, and was able to challenge Mephisto and battle supernatural powers and elements as well, which to me jacked up. Dr. Doom and made him way, oh man, that was fantastic. But but Wanda and her chaos magic, her mutant ability to change probabilities, whatever you want to call it, she has been um, perce perceived as extremely powerful. Now you're seeing that in the show as she is seemingly from, from I'm only four episodes into WandaVision as of this recording, but it, 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 is, it has been clear to me from the beginning that she is the one that is um, uh, controlling the environment around them, which has you know, ensnared the entire neighborhood, the the community at large. Maybe some people in there shouldn't be there and she's not. She's so wrapped up into it like Man Monica Rambeau, the Captain Marvel character that was introduced um, as being uh, 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 Geraldine was, 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 was Monica Rambeau. 
I understand there's elements within there that that Wanda is so wrapped up in in in, in clinging the entire you know reality of what she's created together her her false reality that that there are things that are slipping through and obviously that's that's going to be that that's her weakness that's her just like if you put Steve Austin in a cryo freezer and six million dollar man that was his kryptonite just like kryptonite is what can neutralize Superman everybody's got something and I think with with Wanda it's going to be her overreach in what she's pulling off is is extending her which leaves a weakness a distraction that you can take her down that's my that that's my guess that is my I'm wagering that that will be a manner with which that 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 they are able to reach her but over time again they always depicted Wanda as being tempted and struggling with the power that she had uh in, in, in that it would overwhelm her well when John Byrne uh who guys the reason I say so much of him you know, there have been multiple, maybe more podcasts that I've done and will do that are dedicated to him as a result of the success that he had, not only, again, uh, on, on X-Men and Avengers and, and an extended, glorified run on Fantastic Four, Marvel Team-Up, Marvel 2-in-1, Iron Fist. Uh, he then went on and relaunched. I've got an entire de- you know podcast to where they renumbered Superman for him, and he relaunched and rebooted Superman for the modern era in 1986. And when he was done there, he came back to Marvel Comics. And at Marvel, he was given some new assignments. And West Coast Avengers was a book that was flogging and kind of uh, not of interest to 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 most. Um, I myself had really w- w- thought that it was a subpar effort, and their their be- their best teams were not um, participating. And if you hear that noise, that's me flipping through these pages. I've got my West Coast Avengers omnibus in front of me at this moment. And 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 what when when the nadir of Burns' run on this book is when he turned, um, when he turned Scarlet Witch uh, evil again, and 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 she once again, if, if this sounds familiar, she trashed the team. She takes over and she trashes the team, and uh, they have to overcome her dark, her her darkness, and she is. Uh, she has become twisted, and it's it, the possession of Scarlet Witch, and she is single-handedly uh, taking them down again, and struggling with kind of the the darkness and and the and the the, the darkness and and the struggle within her to contain this 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 nasty um, power slash powers that she's exhibited, and along the way via this storyline is where they alter the Vision's origin. They still It still hews closely to the Human Torch um, android body, but they then now, in a retcon, uh, assume that, well, she, she is, uh, you know, she, she's... Uh, uh, the Vision, there was two, two bodies. You know, two, there's, always, there's, always, there's always a doppelganger. There's always another. And in the West Coast Avengers Acts of Vengeance crossover, which was, I believe, the summer of 88 or 89... Is uh, is when Magneto re-enters the picture, you know? And I was having a, a discussion with a friend, and here's my blind spot. And I, I haven't Wikipedia'd it. I haven't really gone in deeper. But when something like what I told you guys happens, when Magneto is suddenly on his asteroid and he's looking at Magda, who we've never heard of before, but now she's introduced and she looks exactly like Scarlet Witch. When that happens, and then over in the Avengers book, subsequently they are now retrofitting that Scarlet Witch and um, Quicksilver are now, in fact, the children of Magneto and Magda, and she ran to Wonder Mountain and had the kids, 
and, 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 and then fled and left them in Bova's care. She then gives them to Miss America and Wizard, who become their adoptive parents. And in the meantime, and then when that, when, when that doesn't work out, they're actually raised by gypsies. So this retcon goes down, and so much of the heavy lifting is done in the Avengers book. And Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver, if I have not been completely, um, you know, as clear about this point, is for about a decade, that Avengers, they were the stars. I've, I've told you, the Avengers core, when Cap and Iron Man and Thor would be coming in and out the door, the core of the book that you got monthly, on a monthly basis, it was their book. They lived at the mansion, Scarlet Witch, Vision... The Beast, Wonder Man, those were like the quartet and maybe Janet Van Dyne, the uh, Wasp. And through it all, Thor would fly in and fly out. Iron Man would fly in and fly out. Captain America, uh, semi-dedicated, would be in, would be out. But they were the core, If you know, they were the core characters. Beast, Wonder Man, Vision, Scarlet Witch, and the occasional Wasp. But that was the core of the Avengers book. So you, th that was Scarlet Witch's home. That is where she, um, you know... That she was an Avengers character. She was not an X-Men character. She was not a mutant character. So when the X-Men uh, reveal that 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 her mom is is Magneto's wife, um, that that and and then that immediately dovetails into this Wondergore Mountain retrofit multi-part storyline that becomes canon for another you know almost twenty years. That I, I do not. My blind spot is I don't know if that's Jim Shooter going to Michelini, going to Claremont. It's hard for me to imagine that Claremont says, hey, I want to do this major change that affects uh, the Avengers books because Magneto never interacted uh, while Claremont in that area era that he did that. With John Byrne, he did not feature Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver in the book. Uh, it was an Avengers... Uh, really, the, all of the ramifications and the fallout happened in the Avengers books, which, which were being written by uh, Roger Stern, David Michelinie at the time, and... Uh, and, and, of course, Jim Shooter had done a long tenure on that. So I don't know if that was Jim as former Avengers writer, editor-in-chief, calling the shots, saying, here, you cover it here, and we've got to cover our bases. So, Chris, you portray it in the X-Men book. But as a reader, that is how it came out on the stands. Boom. There it is. Wait, what? The, the, Magneto is the dad, and, 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 and Scarlet Witch's mom, Magda, looks just like her, and that's where the ball started rolling. Well, in Avengers, West Coast... Uh, during Acts of Vengeance, issue 55, Magneto comes into contact with Scarlet Witch and is uh, a huge part of the of her finally doing the hard turn to Dark Scarlet Witch, at which point she, um, you know, uh, trashes the Avengers. And, and, then, and then Quicksilver decides, well, I, I'm going to go bad too, and, and, and we are going to be a family... Of villains, and it's got Magneto and Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver, and, and these are really good comics. And again, you know, they try and attack the Avengers, try and attack, but Magneto's not having it. And and together, they're they're ridiculously their power levels are off the charts. And so, I mean, again, this makes for great drama. This makes for great, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, absolute terrific drama and action. And you've got the Avengers now going to um, attack. Magneto and Scarlet Witch and, and Quicksilver on Asteroid M. And then they're going to mount their giant defense. And, uh, I mean, they, they ultimately, together, really go a long way in uh, in, in, in trashing uh, the, the Avengers. And from that point on, for the next extended years, and it takes Agatha Harkness getting involved, her, her former tutor, um, 
and Immortus, and this this goes big and it goes cosmic. But Dark Scarlet Witch is, is carried for like a year. I mean, it's 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 carried over for almost a year, where 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 she is so ridiculously powerful that everyone is brought under her um, spell and influence. And again, they 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 John Byrne lays the seeds for this when he returns. Um, let me let me get the exact number here, but it, it is it is definitely a year long storyline where once again Scarlet Witch is um, torn and and now her father re-enters the picture and 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 puts down his his position as you know head bad guy. And if I haven't really uh, covered it, Magneto became Marvel's most important bad guy, most powerful bad guy after I think Doctor Doom really um, held on to that. For, for most of my childhood, he was depicted as the biggest, baddest, most formidable um, opponent. And, uh, and, and then Magneto uh, kidnapped the X-Men, lived in a volcano, lived in, lived in you know, uh, battled all of them who, who subsequently tried to take him down using the best of teamwork and the lava, uh, uh, you know, seeped in from the volcano and the volcano imploded. And, uh, and, and, and along the way... Magneto was became Marvel's most formidable, most exciting, most popular bad guy, and they didn't overuse him. They really doled him out. I think Claremont, if you were the writer of the book, again, this is why I, 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 I my blind spot is where the the whole Scarlet Witch, Quicksilver, Magneto retcon where that originated because it crossed over. It, it was mentioned and touched on where it had to be in X Men, but then it really got weight and took took flight in the Avengers books. And when you Scarlet Witch being an Avenger meant she was the domain of that writer when he wrote the Avengers. Again, clearances on characters were very important. When I had to get Wolverine, when I asked Wolverine to appear in the New Mutants to battle Cable, that was like a four-month wait. You know, Bob talked to Chris Claremont, who was the writer of both the Wolverine comic as well as the X-Men, and made sure that, you know, it would be acceptable to him in the manner that we wanted to depict Wolverine. And, and it was, you know, they honored the writers. I'm not so sure that editorial it makes those same concessions anymore just because editorial and the executive branch at both companies have been so powerful. I, I told you when I did the new 52, Dan DiDio was um, batshit ding-dong crazy in the edicts that he would hand down. And if he wanted to change Met, he did not care who the hell you were. You had it made. And it extended to every writer, every writer across every title, no matter how popular they interacted with this. They could tell you they, they, they encountered this. Now we're getting to the kids in, 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 uh, we're getting to the interaction with the kids, uh, in, 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 in WandaVision and how that all comes about. And in the comic books, um, it definitely, there is definitely, uh, ties to this, uh, crazy, uh, demon really he, he he's he's this kind of demonic guy again whenever agatha, agatha harkness shows up you can count on the fact that there's going to be a double down on the witchcraft and the sorcery uh in in in, in the pages of the comic because uh that that's kind of where she lives and breathes and and master pandemonium is this uh is this crazy guy who is behind the um the the you know the, the 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 interference with Wanda's children, and I don't know that Master Pandemonium, who was revealed to be Mephisto, 
will be making his um, appearance in WandaVision, but it would seem that given that they've double, they've really um, invested in the kids and the babies, uh, that that I, I believe I believe it's kind of um, uh, inevitable that that even, whether his, his name, his visage, his person, whether an actor will be attached to him, it seems like that was that's coming um, your way in regards to that. And again, this has comic book roots. Agatha Harkness is a witch. She trained Scarlet Witch. She was hired by the Fantastic Four to train Franklin because her powers could protect him if there was a threat. If the Fantastic Four are off-world, if they're going into the negative zone, if they're kidnapped, Agatha Harkness is more than capable, and they did entire issues on how badass of a witch she is and her powers. And again, she has trained Scarlet Witch in the in, in across the decades in all these books, and she shows up in these West Coast Avengers again as as someone who can reason with and help Wanda in these um, definite uh, difficult times, and it, and it has definite tethers and interactions in regards um, to, to to these kids who who uh, disappeared for a while, and according to Agatha Harkness, uh, the little creatures that she created are gone, and uh, and 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 so you know. And for Wanda, it will be as if they never were, okay? Except we all know she, those kids took a different form in, in, in the Marvel Universe. And I don't want to get ahead of myself. But again, Scarlet Witch is very complicated. Three times she has been this giant figure here, whether it was, uh, you know, whether it was her um, uh, interactions with Mephisto, um, uh, the, the 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 reveal that Mephisto was indeed Master Pandemonium. This kind of uh, were the kids alive? Were they real or not? Agatha Harkness's um, interaction. What I'm getting to is the sorcery part of this, the magic part of this, the demonic part of this is 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 all seeped in the history of this character across decades, across absolute you know decades of creators. John Byrne clearly wanted to come back and have a final say in regards to Scarlet Witch. And he did when he came back to West Coast Avengers, teamed her with Magneto, uh, turned Quicksilver to the dark side, and they became this dark triumvirate that literally, uh, what I didn't tell you is when the Avengers arrive at Asteroid M, they are, the the the, the fight that they put up is is um, maybe a page or two before they are uh, rolled up into giant uh, metal shrapnel and hurled back to Earth by Magneto, who spares them just by the, you know, the, the, the grace of his gentle heart. Um... And uh, th th that's all. That's all burned. Coming back, he did Knights of Wondergore Mountain, so he definitely had a co-authorship of this Dark Scarlet Witch. So then he comes back. He continues this 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 vision of her that's very complicated between Master Pandemonium slash Mephisto slash Agatha Harkness slash turning to Magneto. You can see Wanda is extremely powerful and extremely twisted. And the biggest flex, as I mentioned, is House of M where with just a matter of words, she eliminated the mutant populace. She did Marvel uh, a solid. They wanted the mutant populace cut down, eliminated, and she did so. And she absolutely altered reality in one of Marvel's better crossovers, uh, crossover events, because everybody got kind of a change in altered reality. You know, um, it, 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 it went across the entire spectrum of, 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 of titles. And it was very exciting, and it was really all tied into Scarlet Witch and how powerful she is. So as you're seeing what's going on in the Marvel Universe, you can kind of step back and go, well, what character is powerful enough to warp reality enough for nine episodes and to have it task 
the 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 abilities of shield, of sword, of the FBI, of whatever they're going to throw at it. And you know, I I I don't. I'm not trying to second guess or get ahead of myself. Even though what we talk about earlier is the the the, the, the tweets. You know, Elizabeth Olsen, God bless her. She says there's a bigger cameo coming than the equivalent to what Luke Skywalker was to Mandalorian season two season finale. And so again, that appears in my feed. That's again stirring the pot. You're stirring the pot, right? I mean, Tom Holland. Spider Spider Man Three, the most ambitious super standalone single here single superhero movie ever made. Those are his words. It's everywhere today. Elizabeth Olsen. There's going to be a giant cameo, and you know. So now, if we're going to start rolling the dice, here's I don't like to speculate, but if I did, I, I got to think of it. What would what would it mean to me? What would it mean to me? I would love it if Michael Fassbender showed up. I would love it if that was the way into the Fox universe. I would. I know there are there's Fassbender and there's McKellen fans. Ian McKellen, God bless him. You're awesome. I loved every minute you were Magneto. Um, for my money, um, you're, 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 you're very old and I'm not trying to ageism you out here, but in the interim, we've had Michael Fassbender. I dig him. I dig Fassbender. I think he is just a fantastic actor. Um, either way is a win. If it's Ian McKellen, great. If it's Michael Fassbender for me better, but I would love if they would restore this Magneto lineage, um, and, and have it that Pietro and Wanda are the children of Magneto, which would explain that they are not just miracles. Because if you recall, early on, and uh, and this is the greatest flex in my in pop culture, it's hard to beat this flex. This is when you had Marvel very upset that they didn't own the X Men, and I know for a fact the people at Marvel at the time would tell me, you know, I, I already always said this this phrase. This phrase was said to me again and again and again. What would we would we in the middle of the night in the middle of the night would we? Well, I mean, we're not, we're just, we're just saying that if it was in the middle of the night, I don't know, I don't know why the middle of the night uh, was so important to this phrase, but the way it ends is in the middle of the night, would we cut them a check for $500 million to get the Fantasy Four and to get X-Men back? And this is stuff that's being said to me 10 years ago, okay? 2011, 2012. And they'd say, yes, Robert, we would, we would, absolutely. But, but Fox, not sure they want a deal. And Fox was very, um, you know, they had some propriety around uh, those characters. And, and, and you can actually, uh, uh, you know, let, let, let's applaud the business acumen of the Fox uh, set, the, the Murdochs and whoever else kept saying, no, 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 we're good. We're just going to keep these because eventually it turned into a 70 billion. I just like saying that number because it's so flooring to me. $70 billion is what Disney paid to eventually get back uh, with, with their X-Men and Fantastic Four families and restore them. Now, we haven't seen the fruits of that yet, but we all want to. And uh, again, in the middle of the night, would we give them $500 million? Woo-hoo, that would have been a steal. I mean, <laughs> so, so Fox, knowing that there was uh, a lot of animosity for Marvel because they didn't like the fact that Fox had the library, was um, was was starting to, you know, they've admitted the, that Ike Perlmutter wanted Fantastic Four shut down. X-Men was too profitable for them and, and carried across too many, um, too, too much in terms of licensing, merchandising, and publishing. They didn't shut X-Men down, but they shut Fantastic Four down, making it uh, more difficult to uh, for, for Fox to curry the favor of fans, especially since there was nothing established that the fans loved about their Fantastic Four visions yet. But the X-Men, again, we, we look back in the X-Men, and there are people who dismiss those movies completely, and they forget the giant openings and the, and the big 
um, the big earnings that these movies carried with them over the course of their 20 years at Fox. And and again, you know, you got to you got to carry the good with the bad and you got to carry the bad with the good. And when it comes down to um, when it comes down to like, let's say, uh, you know, um, Days of Future Past. OK, let, let, let's go. That was probably the for me, the best of the X-Men films. I thought it was ambitious as hell and it absolutely uh, pertains uh, I, I think a Balky on, on on Perfect Strangers now because his favorite word was pertaining. What is per, this pertaining? What is this pertaining? Well, this pertains. Okay, this pertains to the depiction of Quicksilver in Days of Future Past, which is one of the, if not the best flex I have seen uh, in in regards to uh, in, in in regards to uh, two different companies. Uh, de- de- depicting the same character at the same time um, in, in in different creative visions. And uh, as you know, uh, Kevin Feige announced that he was going to have Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver be featured in the Avengers. And, uh, and, and um, you know, that was something that then Fox answered with and said, well, we have Quicksilver in days of future past. And, you know, what happened is that you, you got two different actors, uh, cast in, in their, in their, uh, uh, in their respective roles. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the game was afoot, the game was on. And, and the, the predominant thinking was that how dare Fox try and, uh, portray these characters that Kevin Feige, is um, going to portray in Avengers because the, it had all shifted. Avengers was now the new bellwether for comic book success, a billion dollars at the box office. Again, if you went around and you talked to people who, whether they reported on box office or they participated in box office by making the movies, the entire community town fandom abroad, down you guys, yourselves, me, I thought, okay, Iron Man did $300 million. And Captain America did 200-some million, and Thor did 200-some million. So if you put them all in one movie, you know, each... that Iron Man's got the most appeal, and when you make the Avengers, so maybe they're going to make a $600 million movie. No one saw the almost $2 billion that the original Avengers movie being released would 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 shake up and change the, the industry. No one saw that coming. And it was just amazing. Now, you know, worldwide... X-Men Days of Future Past, uh, which came out in the summer of 2014, so uh, two years after the Avengers, made $746 million, which you're going to go, oh, that's not the billions that was being made by by, by the the Avengers franchise. It wasn't, but it was much more than Thor or Iron Man or a standalone, um, you know, some of these standalone uh, Spider-Man films were making. X-Men Days of Future Past really clicked. It really worked. It's probably Brian Singer's best directorial efforts, Simon Kinberg's best script, best work as a, a best work as a producer. Uh, obviously, it hinges very much on some terrific performances, bringing the two cast together with, again, you get Ian McKellen, you get, you get Michael Fassbender, but here comes Quicksilver, okay? And, and, uh, and we've got dueling Quicksilvers. Fox is going to get there first. And uh, you know the the, uh, the 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 Fox um, the Fox version is going to be somewhat controversial, and 
because they, they are deemed as not being as worthy as uh, as Disney to pull this off. And 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 yet, when we all see the Quicksilver that is depicted in uh, 2014's X-Men Days of Future Past, our minds were collectively blown. Uh, honestly, you know, they kind of called their shot and said, we're going to oppose you here because, because what I've told you, what I've told you what was happening in the Marvel publishing world was happening in the film world. Quicksilver lived in both worlds. He was an Avenger and he was an X-Men. His origins were in the X-Men, but he had so long been the franchise focus of the... Uh, of, of the Avengers that he lived in both worlds. And so technically the way these catalogs were being split up was it wasn't always first appearance because look, Black Panther was co-opted and Wakanda and all of that. Feige and the Marvel people were able to um, extract that from the Fantastic Four, even though Black Panther appeared in Fantastic Four. Uh, this, this created a standard that affected my life in a positive way in that like John Prophet, Prophet, my my character Prophet, which went on to do extremely well, and we've we, we've published him over the last three decades. Prophet was introduced in Youngblood too, but he does he is not a Youngblood character. His story walked through them, just like Silver Surfer, Galactus, uh, Black Panther, the Inhumans all walked through uh, Fantastic Four, but but they were not deemed necessarily Fantastic Four characters, which is why you could get. Black Panther extract him and Marvel have him in his own because they re- they, they they showed that no Black Panther had a life that was significant outside of Black Panther's had a publishing life the same way John Prophet had a publishing life outside or Bloodstrike or Brigade which all ran through event- Youngblood Youngblood was my Fantastic Four I would feature characters and then they would go off and they'd spin off in their own titles and just because the first appearance was there that didn't mean that, that they were sewn into the continuity of that franchise the same way Black Panther wasn't sewn into the, the continuity of Fantastic Four. So, but Quicksilver and Scarlet, which are a huge dilemma. They live in both worlds. They have a they have a foot in both, which is why I believe the gray area existed and they made a swap and an understanding that we'll use ours and not sue you and you'll use yours and not sue me. And you know, whatever horse trading went about, Fox stepped up. They got Evan Peters, who is a um obviously very celebrated actor, ridiculous talent, has been in a million things. Um, uh, you, you might have seen him in American Horror Story where he's ex- just excellent. He was briefly in, in Kick-Ass. Um, I mean, the guy is is uh, just r- ridiculously talented and, uh, and, and 100%... Uh, he's got the stuff. He, he's, he's an actor's actor. Every, everybody thinks that he uh, is, is, is a guy that 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 just has the chops. He's he's got the chops. He's got that quirk. He can be the leading guy, he can be the side guy, but he's got that quirks and he was perfectly cast in my estimation as Quicksilver. But the way they depicted his his characters in that giant set piece in Days of Future Past where Quicksilver they contact him, they need a speedster and then they refer to his parentage with Magneto. They refer to it. And he pulls off that heist where everyone it's like this new flex on bullet time where he's spinning around the running around the room in a millisecond but you see what he can do in that millisecond given how fast he moves and he adjusts people moves things out of the way moves them out of harm you know oh my gosh it is still one of the most it's a great set piece cinematic superhero uh film experience and it was like game set match and 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 i mean i i was and continued to believe that is a huge flex. They met the challenge. They 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 knew Fox knew that that they had a high bar to clear because most people had been turning on the X Men franchise and didn't think that they could hold the same um you know 
standard as the as the Marvel produced film, Marvel now Disney produced films. And so, uh, you know, one year later, we got the Marvel version of Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch, and we were where we were introduced to, of course, Elizabeth Olsen, and uh, a, 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 as Wanda, and and then of course we were introduced to Marvel's version of the um, the Quicksilver character, and as admirable as Aaron Taylor Johnson's per- performance as Pietro Maximoff Quicksilver. Uh, you know, and, and maybe that's why that character appears as briefly as he does in the entire saga is because of the negotiation. And it's the one time, again, I, I believe if you show that Evan Peters uh, footage of Quicksilver to anyone, they would stand up and applaud and go, that is an absolute amazing depiction of a superpower, a great, uh, a, a wonderfully directed scene, great CGI, great blending of real life props, CGI. Um, I believe they won that showdown. Fox's Quicksilver is magnificent. He it is he is great, and even in the brief uh, re when they called him back for for Apocalypse, and he got to kind of do his thing again. It was still a moment that you really appreciated. Uh, but but the, his his for for its cleverness, but never as clever, never as bold, and quite frankly, better than what they turned in in Age of Ultron. And so Fox met that moment, flexed, and uh, and of course you know. Uh, uh, the, the, it, it just it, it is such it is so much fun to think of that that was kind of a moment in time in the culture and the blogosphere and the film sites everybody was looking forward to that showdown it was the one time that Fox and Disney were going to go head to head with the same character and I got to be honest I believe Fox uh, really earned that their 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 first place status in regards to their depiction of Quicksilver I thought. Aaron Taylor Johnson was fantastic. He was great. He looked great. He moved great. His chemistry was great. There's nothing to there. Uh, there there's no downside. It's just that Evan Peters' depiction of Quicksilver is tops in, in on on every level, in my opinion, in my esteemed opinion. But X Men: Days of Future Past kissed 800 million bucks. That's a lot. That's that. That's that golden age that started. I, I actually it started me with me at, at first class. Then Days of Future Past, then the Deadpool films, Logan, um, and uh, and I even like The Wolverine, which adapts the Frank Miller graphic novel. But so so we had uh, we we have this now Wandavision that is absent Pietro, but we know that uh, that that there are possibly two different actors who could depict him in this in this reality that she is struggling to depict, of which I am very hopeful that Fassbender or McKellen would emerge at the end and we would establish this parentage because it was around this time when the baby was split in the movies that the parentage became into question and Marvel wanted you to know that from their point of view, Magneto was no longer the true father and this is when I kind of tapped out and was like, okay, I'm not sure that these are being made, these decisions are being made story-wise for the betterment of the content as much as they are maybe out of spite for the fact that the rights are not currently held by the parent company and a lot of the decisions that come down on the editorial end are not from editorial they are from the executive branch uh, the guys who own and control the properties have definite uh, hard opinions on what they are allowed to interact with and again I've asked before my guy I asked inside of Marvel in 2015 I said hey I see all this Deadpool merchandise coming out but Deadpool's a Fox property they had just started making the Deadpool film and I said are they going to turn it off 
and and not exploit Deadpool in the same way that they kind of don't allow the X-Men films to have toy deals and merchandise deals and the way they turned off Fantastic Four. And again, and I quote, my Marvel guy told me in no uncertain terms, no, Rob, Deadpool's left the station and Marvel knows that they can just jump on that train and ride it and that there's no stomping it and they're going to maximize that experience, which is why you've got as much Deadpool merchandise, t-shirts, Funko Pops, action figures, posters, lunch boxes. You got the full spectrum, even though um, they were not... Uh, you know, simpatico with Fox at the time and was years away from consuming them and buying them for, let's say it together, $70 billion. Remember, Star Wars was bought for $4 billion. Marvel was bought for $4 billion. Bob Iger, $70 billion to uh, consume the Fox library. I'm just, I say it because it's like, it's like, it's like if you saw a UFO, you would talk about it the rest of your life. And you'd be like, I, that, you know, that, that UFO took me on board. They played with my brain. They scanned me. I saw crazy things. And they dropped me off on the middle of the highway. And I stumbled home. You would talk about it the rest of your life, especially if they allowed you to keep those memories. That is what the $70 billion price tag is to me. It's insane. It's crazy. It's something to admire from both ends. That it was spent and that it was accepted. It's crazy. It's, it's so amazing. But in that time period, guys, remember, in the movies... Scarlet, Pietro, Quicksilver, the Baron Strucker referred to them as the age of miracles. So they were miracles, not mutants, because they weren't allowed to say mutant. They were saying miracles. And I am not as up on my MCU. Are we still calling them miracles? The age of miracles. Because in the MCU, Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver were miracles. What's that? Pretty good. Still got an M. You still got, you carry the M from mutant over here to miracle. And, you know, uh, uh, I'm not sure you get a whole lot out, out of that, but it was acceptable that, well, over there, there are mutants. Over there, across the street at that other studio, uh, they have mutants. We have miracles. And, uh, and and the age of miracles and and that these two were exhibiting these powers and they never quite told us in a satisfactory way the origin of those powers because presumably leaving the door open for what we may be getting. And I don't like to speculate, but now I'm speculating. So shame on me. But it could be Magneto coming through the door and, Ma and Mephisto could be somewhat entwined in this story that we're seeing. And the reason I'm talking about it is the comic book origins. That's what drives me and and and, and just makes me the enthusiast that I am, is that run as they might, retcon as they might, these stories had resonance, they existed, they were written about, they have to be annotated, they have to be included in the history of the character. And uh, that moment when Magneto became the you know father to Pietro and Scarlet, which was was massive in the comic book world. It was the thing that you talked about at the comic book store. And it was the thing that you discussed with your friends and your fans at the convention. And and uh, obviously, John Byrne sunk his teeth deep into it when he had was, was part of Scarlet Witch turning, turning evil, taking down the West Coast Avengers, getting on a, a Asteroid M, and it would extend again to a story that would go even bigger with Immortus and Agatha Harkness until it was fully resolved. So three times, House of M, going backwards, is the big last giant mega flex that she affected the entire mutant universe because she was kind of uh, weak in the brain, traumatic. She had trauma. She was dealing with madness, struggling with just, just again, they've really depicted Wanda as someone who is so burdensome with her powers. Now, again, it's fantastic in, in that uh, it touches in this supernatural sorceress, uh, sorcery magic realm in the Marvel Universe, which would open the door wide for Doctor Strange to come in. And so so that's why I believe the pivot from 
mutant powers slash miracle powers, age of miracles, age of mutants, whatever, will pivot to sorcery. And we will be into the Doctor Strange movie, you know, before then. And maybe there's Mephisto. Mephisto is a fantastic character. I first encountered him in The Silver Surfer, depicted by the great John Buscema, uh, who, who is still the master of depicting uh, uh, Mephisto on his live feed the other day. Neil Adams showed us all his version of a distinct version of John Buscema's uh, Mephisto. And while Neil's was great, and, and at 70 plus years old, Neil Adams is cranking out this amazing Mephisto. And he is saying, I am basing this on this infamous, you know, uh, Mephisto illustration by John Buscema. It still came up short. The Buscema one is the, 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 the dominant depiction of Mephisto. And uh, because really you needed some big heavy hitters to battle a character as, as, as powerful as Silver Surfer. So introducing Mephisto, who also has tangled with Doctor Doom and so many, I mean, almost the entire Marvel Universe, X-Men, Fantastic Four, Mephisto has been there. He has tempted them. He has battled them. He is devil incarnate. So it makes sense, especially referencing when Agnes slash is it Agatha Harkness uh, in WandaVision says, you know, when she says the devil's in the details and that's not all, that's not the only place the devil's at is that was her little side commentary. So there's Easter eggs everywhere. It'll be interesting to see how much the, of the Marvel magic world that they embrace as they bridge and pivot towards Doctor Strange. But I love mutants and, 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 and Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver Pietro, Pietro have always been mutants in the Marvel Universe for a limited time. Age of Miracles, we've covered that. Uh, mutants, uh, the X-Men... They entered into a new phase of glory uh, when 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 Grant Morrison took over the book at the dawn of the 2000s. The X-Men in the late 90s were, um, it was a complicated kind of, uh, it was a complicated vision. It was a complicated world. And uh, the, the, the everyone seemed kind of out of gas. Scott Lobdell had been given kind of the full reins and, and I'm not sure that he was up to the snuff. They aren't my favorite stories. Uh, he's done some great stuff. I think Age of Apocalypse, he rang the bell big time, but uh, the, the visions of the X-Men, that there, there was some conflict, and I will tell you of a period coming up where the new editor-in-chief in the early 2000s sat down the X-Men office and tossed down a bunch of 90s books, including myself and Jim Lee's, and questioned, were the X-Men ever any good in the last 10 years? Let's make this team, let's make this comic great again. And it was, I heard about this from the editors who called me afterwards as I was actually writing and drawing Wolverine at the time this happened on a limited basis. I had an end date. It was only four issues that I was asked to help out on while they looked for a new creative team. Um, that was, if you're curious, X-Men 154, 155, 156, and 157. And it was the fall of 2000. And uh, my editor called me up and said, you wouldn't believe what just happened. The new EIC called us in and dropped these books on the table and said, so tell me, did anything good happen in, to these books in the last decade? And it was kind of a gauntlet. It was a little bit of a of a diss. It was a little bit of a dismissal of all the great work that was done in the early 90s that really set those books uh, apart. And again, you know, those early 90s comics, Cable, uh, I, I mentioned Cable very specifically because he was a significant fan favorite that not only got his own book, but he got featured storylines on the top-rated X-Men cartoon. And uh, you have only to casually talk to all of those guys um, who worked on the X-Men animated series. And they held up the work that we did in the 90s as uh, as important uh, as they did the John Byrne and the uh, 
and 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 the, and the Dave Cockrum stuff that I adored as a kid. And uh, you know, the the Larry Houston is a buddy of mine. I met him. He was the guiding force. Uh, talked to him 2019 at a LA Comic Con. He was so sweet. He came up to me, saw that I was drawn Deadpool, and he said, what'd you think about me putting him in the X-Men cartoon? I did you a solid, man. And I said, what do you mean? I love what you did with Cable, too. He, Larry Houston, was the producer of the X-Men animated series. He was the visionary guy that 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 got the storyboards did 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 the uh, did the turnarounds the character sheets he was the guy who was the showrunner on the X-Men animated series and recently an absolutely amazing X-Men animated series hardcover is out there if you can get it order it on uh, from Barnes and Noble your 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 your, your Amazon whatever method that you can get this book your comic store if they carry it grab it there see if they can um, get it for you um, the, 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 this, this coffee table book covering the success of the X-Men animated series reflected so much of the costumes, the characters, and the input that we had in the early 90s. So by just kind of crapping on the comics, you're also crapping on the entire childhood group of kids that were affected by the, the X-Men work that guys like myself and Jim Lee and Wills Portacio had contributed to. But, uh, the idea was to get a dramatic change in the X office and, they had tapped a very exciting writer. Grant Morrison is 100% the real deal. I think he is a tremendous visionary. Uh, he has got big, bold ideas to go along with some really fancy prose. And those are the guys, P-R-O-S-E, in case you're wondering what I'm saying. His, um, he, he, he's great with the dialogue. He's great with the, uh, just, just, just the written word, period. But he's got big, ballsy ideas. And he was tapped to write... X-Men, and he was teamed with a guy named Frank Quietly, who had been tearing it up on my favorite comic book of the last 20 years called The Authority, with another huge, big idea guy named Mark Miller. And it was killing me that Quietly was leaving to go do uh, to go do X-Men because I adored, just absolutely adored every line he put down and the, and the way that he depicted the world of the Ultimates alongside... Uh, uh, you know, Frank, uh, Mark Miller. And, and so, so when, but I guess they were dialing, dialing down the authority. So, uh, Frank joins Grant Morrison in this announcement that they're going to be, you know, doing this new vision of the X-Men and Hey man, I believe in Grant Morrison. I'm going to be there. I'm going to buy that book. And I am going to pull up a chair and I'm going to absorb it. And I'm, I'm excited because this, this seems like a really bold new vision. And some of the early sketches coming out from Frank were exciting me. And again, the, 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 the DC publishing had decided that they weren't really excited about all the mature themes and some of the stuff that was going on in the pages of the authority. And one of the um, bonehead moves that Paul Levitz did was pull the plug on that book and uh, just completely abandon all support for it in the face that it would be potentially controversial with his Warner Brothers overlords in the sex and the uh, and the violence that they were depicting. And and so he abandoned authority. So I, as, as depressed as I was that Frank was going to be on it, there was no authority to be on. But now he's joining Grant in this, and Grant and, and Frank had worked together in the, um, in the early, or in the, in the mid nineties. Um, they, th this was by far not their first, uh, N not their first dance as they had done Flex Mentallo, which was a kind of a, 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 a smaller known, um, a, a, a smaller project they had done together. It was critically acclaimed, like most everything that Grant Morrison touched, but 
the 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 then he worked his way and did a really cool Justice League graphic novel that really put him on the map for me. Um, and and that that is what like Earth Two, the Justice League project that they did, this hardcover, I just consumed because Frank kind of had his toe. What he was part Mobius, part Frank Miller, and and I mean every aspect of that. Part Mobius, part Frank Miller, and and just imagine what that's like: the storytelling, the impact, the uh, the the cinematic flair of Frank Miller. With and some of the proportions, his people would kind of be his people would kind of be thick and meaty, like like Frank depicted Dark Knight, and and yet he also had kind of a leaf. Uh, 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 quietness to his work and his figures uh, that that Mobius had, and and environmentally he reflected, I think, a lot of what Mobius put down on the page. Uh, Frank's name isn't even Frank Quietly; it's a stage name. You should know this. Uh, that, that Mark Miller is the first one that ever told me that his name's Vin. Oh, we call him Vin. Vin Deegan is that? That's that's even cooler than Vin Diesel. Vin Deegan, Vincent Deegan. But he thought that that would be a bad comic book name, which I would have told him no. That would have been a great comic book name but it's too late now you've been frank quietly we all know you as frank quietly i'm not sure but you know what do whatever you want recreate yourself become vin deegan again he doesn't do as much work as we would all you know enjoy uh for him to do he he, he's a a bit of a recluse he doesn't do a lot of shows in the states he was here in the summer of 2000 i pulled him aside and was able to tell him how much i loved his work in the summer of 2000 that's just based on his earth 2 and his authority work he had not yet been tapped to the x-men but he is teaming up with grant morrison and let me tell you something the first issue that they did the very you know e for extinction is is the first storyline they did and it is everything that you would ever hope the x-men to be and i'm telling you right now that uh i believe it is the the, the last time the x-men were great grand and 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 any and and, and were on par with anything that Claremont or Byrne and Cockrum and Paul Smith pulled off together. And one of the amazing, when I say big ideas, you know, it's been all these years, all these years of the X-Men comics, since Stan and Jack. And no one introduced a character, in my opinion, that had as much immediate impact on that page as the sister, the sister of Charles Xavier. And she is just as powerful and nasty uh, as as you as you would imagine if 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 Xavier was evil. And she infiltrates her brother's mind and and seeks to um, destroy him while he has the Cerebro helmet on. From a great great distance, miles away, she is pulling this off. This is um the the, the this is the opening of the first issue and. And it's so severe that Xavier grabs an emergency pistol that is within the Cerebro apparatus, within this giant construct, to kill himself. Because he's like, if you don't get out of my brain right now, I will shoot. I will fire. And uh, and she knows he's not bluffing. You would, wouldn't you? And she abandons him. Her, her name is Cassandra Nova, and she would go on to be one of the great nemesis of the X-Men and lives romantically in my mind for the last 19 years as one of their greatest villains ever along par with Magneto. What happened to this run along the way, and we'll delve into it more in the future, but what derailed the Grant Morrison run from greatness is consistency. Had Frank quietly drawn 12 straight issues with Grant, we would be talking about this in the same way that we talk about Frank Miller's Dark Knight, the way we talk about Chris Claremont's and John Burns X-Men, the way we talk about Watchmen. I am convinced those first four episodes, the first four issues they did together, depict the first four chapters of this much longer tale 
But then it became uh, very inconsistent. Frank was gone for long periods of time. They put artists who were not up to Frank's um, execution level uh, in regards to his style and his ability as a storyteller. And the work was compromised and the vision was compromised as a result. How, how could it not be? Uh, the best part was that they ended this, the, the, uh, this, the, 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 the finale or a significant chapter in this book was ended with Mark Silvestri, my image brethren, who came in and did a kind of a Days of Future Past uh, inspired story that took, you know, that Grant did where he kind of took on some of that, those ideas Chris had and it had Sentinels and it was great and it was great looking. I mean, holy crap. It, it I would have always preferred quietly and I believe Mark is the single best artist of the last 40 years in comics and if God came to me tomorrow and said, Rob, I can give you the ability to draw like anyone on the planet, it, the, the name will always be Mark Silvestri. Please just give me that talent. Dear God, oh my gosh. Um, I may never stop drawing if I could draw as wonderfully and delectably, deliciously, amazingly uh, as, as Mark Silvestri, who I think is the single best illustrator that we have in comic books. Uh, even though he hasn't really drawn anything in a long time, if he sneezes on a napkin, it's better drawn than, than, than anyone else can, can draw that sneeze on that napkin. Okay. So, but Frank quietly and Grant Morrison, they come out the gate, they're four issues in, you're into it. And Grant had a big grand vision here. He would go on to incorporate the Imperial Guard, which is, as, as I've told you guys, an echo of the Legion of Superheroes with a little more of a sinister bend. And he would go on to uh, drag all of these huge new elements into this saga. But he did it really without Frank after issue four. Frank would rejoin the, the book occasionally, um, doing a fill-in issue or pitch pitch hitting. and but But for the most part... From that moment on, the, the X-Books were not the same, as great as the characters and the ideas. Um, you know, again, with the Shi'ar Empire, the exploitation of the Imperial Guard, the book just didn't have the consistency. And what makes things great are the consistency. Frank did every issue of Dark Knight. Dave Gibbons did every issue of, of, of Watchmen. You know, John Byrne did a four-year run, an extended run on X-Men. Jim Lee did a two-and-a-half-year run on X-Men. I did a two-and-a-half-year run on New Mutants X-Men. Todd did a two-and-a-half-year run on Spider-Man. The longevity is where we make these connections, where these books become romantic to us. We rely on them. And uh, and as bold as Grant's vision was, shortly thereafter, they, they, they recanted it, but it does not remove for one minute that Cassandra Nova, when I think of the 2000s and I think of the X-Men, I will always think of that first issue where she gets into Charles' brain and the way she is depicted is creepy as hell. She's also completely bald like her brother. She's ruthless. She's powerful. Um, she's unforgiving. She's merciless. And her plans are to, I mean, really destroy mankind, destroy mutant kind. And, and it is a formidable vision. The storytelling, the, the, um, the, the high level of craftsmanship that is going on in these first four issues of, of, of Frank and, and, uh, and Grant's X-Men and this 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 opening salvo of E for Extension are some of the best comics you're ever going to get your hands on. And the whole idea of of this this image that you're seeing with 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 uh with with uh Xavier wearing the Cerebro helmet really again he's done it before but it the, the visual language was born the modern visual language of that is born in the pages of this E for Extension Extinction Grant Morrison, Frank Quietly saga. I mean, the art in the other issues is so distracting and so not on par with 
um, what Frank was doing. It's it, it just takes you out of the entire um, effort. It takes you out of the entire effort. I mean, Jean Grey gets dark again. There's Phoenix. There's so much. I, I, I have all of the omnibuses. I have all the hardcover, oversized editions of this. It was great. Um, Grant had a grand vision. The consistency is why it is not spoken of in the same um, sentences as some of these magnificent, great, celebrated runs. And and it could have been the best run of the X-Men. I believe in those first four issues, I was like, this is, this is testing my loyalty, my love of the Byrne Claremont stuff. It's that good. It's operating at that high of a level. Um, I mean, that's how good Grant is. And, and for sure, that's how good Frank Quietly slash Vin Deegan is. Uh, th- this is, this is all just mutants, mutants, and mutants. And, and, uh, we, we, we've done this for the better part of an hour. Like I said, whether it's Scarlet Witch, Quicksilver, the X-Men, mutants, Frank Quietly, Grant Morrison, it, it all falls under the same banner. It's, it's the tales of mutants, which I believe is the best kind of corner of the Marvel universe. It's the one that I like to hang out with and indulge with the most. It's, it's, uh, obviously I've, as a career have interacted with the mutants uh in 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 top fashion so so but but even if i didn't my my fan leanings will always go to this stuff and i will close today just uh talking about comic book retail and comic book stores and like i said i went to a comic book store went to comic book stores and you know had my mask on and doing the social distancing and getting that sanitizer and buying those comics and it was great and it was fun and it made me think of uh how what we should expect from the people that curate and collect and buy, uh, I mean, and sell the comics to us. I love a great comic book store as much as the next guy. I love a great comic book store, the most beautiful store with the best glass shelves and lighting and displays, uh, and and statues and and figures can be undone by poor staffing. And I have nothing of note of relate of, of recent note to relate to to to, to tell you, but. In in imagine I'm I'm 17 years old. I'm going to Tower Records, which no longer exists, but it was the coolest uh, record store uh, chain that I had ever encountered. I I would go to the there was a giant Tower Records on Beach Boulevard uh, in Orange County, down the street from Knott's Berry Farm. Bought so many different concert tickets there. That's where you would go before the internet. You would go wait in line and go up to the counter when the day that the, the morning they could start selling tickets and you'd buy, you know, I bought concert tickets to U2. I bought concert tickets to the Eagles. I bought concert tickets to Duran Duran. I bought, you know, Van Halen tickets I, that, that you always bought your stuff. There was no computers. You had to do it in person. Ticketmaster ran a giant operation, Three Tower Records, and they always got good seats too. And, uh, but obviously they had a giant record collection, cassettes, DVDs. One time there was, there was a smaller tower records here in Orange County and Brea as well. But the big, the big one that rivaled the LA store was on beach Boulevard. And one time I was bringing up the latest Duran Duran release. Uh, and it was, you know, 1980, 85. And, uh, I'm at the register and the guy at the register is a hardcore punk guy. His hair is spiky and he's got chains and, you know, he's definitely conveying a punk attitude. And he's like, huh, Duran Duran. And then under his breath, he goes, who buys Duran Duran? And I'm sitting there with my money and I'm going, I buy Duran Duran. Duran. I've been buying Duran Duran since 1981. And I'm going to walk out of here with that Duran Duran CD. Even though you are on an elevated platform, the register is higher than me. I'm below you and you're scoffing at me. 
who buys Duran Duran? Well, what I want to say is I'm pretty sure your manager wants me to buy anything that I want in this store because they need to make the rent. And again, Tower Records, sadly, out of business. It, that, that, that I think that underscores this argument. But I remember going to the, my car and going, what a dick. I didn't want to make a scene. I just smiled. Like, guy didn't intimidate me, but I was just like, wow, this guy who makes whatever he makes an hour in 1985 is shitting on my choice of CD. And like I said, I had every Duran Duran CD. I love those guys. They have a great documentary on Showtime, by the way. It's an hour long. It's fantastic. It, I, I just, Simon LeBon, all of those guys, they just rock. They've always rocked. Their, their music has stood the test of time. But I got in the car and I was like, that's shitty. And uh, it didn't deter me from going to the, the store again, but it was a like the bad retail um, encounter where in, if you've been to, let, let's say, a clothing store, often when you're going to Banana Republic, or a clothing store that you frequent. Um, I, I, I'm blanking on where my kids would go. But, uh, you know, you go up to the, and, and you're buying something. Often, and, and tell me if this hasn't happened to you before. They go, would you like some socks or a belt with that? Um, they, they offer to keep selling you. They don't look at your skinny jeans, your oversized sweatshirt, your whatever button down and go, huh, who buys this? Okay. They're immediately logged into, would you like to get some socks? Any socks today? a belt. They're trying to upsell you. They're trying to upsell you as they should. That is the job of retailer. They are hired to make sure that the store does well, not to scoff at your purchases. So I'm, I'm, I'm bringing you some old grind here. Okay. But the bottom line is that, uh, it started happening at comic book stores. And when the guy behind the register wants to become your own personal Jesus, and wants to tell you exactly what you should be reading and what you should be collecting and tries, tries to curate your taste. And I've seen it. I saw it when I was a kid, when I was, before I was a pro, I would see people go, oh man, you're still reading, fill in the blank. Oh man, you know, I'm reading this and you should be checking this out. And recommends are great, but they should never come at the cost of demeaning someone else's purchase. And I know for a fact that there are stores in Los Angeles that still practice this. There are still guys at the register who think their job as your personal is your personal shopper and to curate your taste because they want desperately for you to support what they like. And they're clearly not the one paying the bills or they're best friends with the guy paying the bills and the guy who pays the bills has swallowed that, well, it's part of the deal with the devil that his buddy runs the cash register and it's kind of funny when he demeans other comics and then recommends you stuff that you're probably never going to buy anyway. There's an occasional, hey, you should be buying the authority that's going to work out well for all parties. And if you like Authority 7, you're going to go back and you're going to buy Authority 1 through 6. But it shouldn't come at the expense of that retailer telling you that you shouldn't like whatever you're buying. Whatever genre you're buying, whatever creator you're buying. And again, think of fast food. You want um, you want to supersize that? Could you get a cookie today? You want a milkshake? Uh, I, I go to In-N-Out. I go to Chick-fil-A. I go to, you know, whatever fast food place that I'm pulling through. And especially in the pandemic, we've all done it. We all didn't want to walk inside. We couldn't walk inside. We had to do the drive-through route. And they're always, do you want to supersize that? Would you like some chicken nuggets? Would you like a cookie? Uh, I mean, they're always trying to add on to your order, not tell you, oh man, you got a double-double. Oh boy. Uh, oh man, chicken nuggets for you, right? Oh man. What do you What do you mean you're getting our, our chicken crunch burrito? Okay, that is not happening. Okay, at the fast food and at the clothing stores. And literally, if you have a retailer who is questioning your taste, you should call his bullshit on it and say, look, man, do you want me to continue to spend my money here? Because I don't have to, and I can spend it somewhere else. 
because we are the 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 mechanism with which these stores continue to stay afloat. This is not a personal belief. This is just think something that I have thought beyond. And I think, again, it's why so many people are just ordering from their home because the Amazon doesn't caution you and say, why are you bu- buying that Marshall Rogers hardcover? You know, Marshall Rogers is has, has been gone for a long time and there's all these new Batmans you should buy. No, they just put my order through and then they tell me that my order is in and it'll be here in three days, two weeks, whatever arrangements that I agreed to when I bought it. So it just made me think back. Tower Records, <laughs> you buying that? Dur- who buys Duran Duran? I do. Just like I buy Spider-Man and I buy Thor and I buy Silver Surfer and I buy X-Men. And I may never buy you know, the flash as well as the flash is because the flash just isn't my taste. And some stuff is never, ever going to be your taste. And hopefully to the comic stores. And if this podcast is played, played in your store, I hope to God, you're one of those people who is making the recommend, not at the expense of the books they're buying. And it's different. If a guy comes up and says, Hey man, I'm really not into this book anymore. Is there anything like that? That's completely different than you at the register telling the guy, Oh, why are you buying this? Or really, you still buying this? Or dude, we don't want you telling us what to read. I go there and I buy. I'm going to tell you, at Comic Castle in Fullerton on Amherst and Harbor Boulevard, when I was a kid, Comic Castle was the best comic book store. It was big, big, vast, carried everything, fanzines, magazines, every back issue, every independent, first comics, Pacific comics, Eclipse comics. But there was a guy that ran the register when the boss, Rick, wasn't there. And I would work at Comic Castle for about a year in 86. But in 83, 84, when I was frequenting there on Saturdays, uh, there was a guy behind the counter. And we called him Big Jim because he looked uh, like Jim from Taxi, who was played by Christopher Lloyd before he was Doc Brown. Except because he he looked kind of like a little disturbed. And he he definitely had... um, the voice of Christopher Lloyd on Taxi, but he looked a little more like a deranged Sam Elliott. And if you ever asked him a question about anything, a back issue, a new issue, anything, he'd go, and I mean, this dude is probably, you know, if I'm 16, he's 42. Uh, he, he, he was a little disheveled, definitely bad mannered and grumpy 100% of the time, but he never did anything but ring my books up. You couldn't get a whole lot of help out of him. The best you may get was, Rick will be a violator. But if you ask him a question, huh, I don't know. Well, you know what? I'll take, huh, I don't know, 100% of the time before I take a guy who's saying, why are you buying this funny animal comic? Why are you buying this? Okay. He just he just rang us up and you just kind of knew he was a grump and he rang you up, but he never, ever once bothered to inform me or my friends what we should be buying and what we shouldn't be buying. So we're ending on that tip. Little, little, Rob Liefeld retail tip today. Wanted to get that shout out. And for all the great retailers who greet you with a smile, who have that great recommend, who celebrate your purchases, who don't want to be your personal Jesus, who don't want to be responsible for your purchases, who don't want to guide you and impose their taste on you, more power to you. That's the way it's done. Offer me some socks and a belt or offer me a cookie. That's the way it's done in today's retail. That's the way it should be done. We want our retailers to do well, sell more books, not less. You guys, thanks for hanging with me. I am on social media. Check me out on Twitter at Robert Liefeld with the blue check. That's really me. Let's let's hang out. Let's interact. On Instagram, I am at Rob Liefeld. Check me out. I'm, I'm on these platforms morning, noon, and night. 
Um, um, I'm all over Facebook. I love hanging and talking and interacting with you guys on social media. Thank you for the constant input. Thank you for getting the word out on Rob's observations. Thanks for recommending it. Come continue to subscribe, spread the word. I hope that you have yourself a fantastic day. I look forward to hanging out with you guys in our next jam session. You guys, I need you to stay safe out there. Take care of yourselves, protect yourselves, stay safe. And we will talk again real soon.